Lord, we do lift up and magnify your most holy name. And you are worthy of our praise and our, our worship. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher tonight. Just minister to every heart that is here. You've brought us here by divine appointment. We thank you for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. So minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Let me encourage you to read the uh, last portion of James chapter 1 and the first half of James chapter 2 for Sunday uh, as we continue our study there as well. Hey guys, I'm sure it was mentioned, uh, it's not too late to sign up for the men's retreat. It's going to be a blessing. I guess we have about 80 guys or so going from the church, so I know you'll be absolutely blessed. Just be a great time to get away and spend uh, with the Lord and with your brothers in the Lord. All right, well, tonight we're going to pick up where we left off halfway through chapter 6. And, and I titled the message, Watching, Waiting, and Working. You know, the Lord, sometimes in our human frailty, we look at the world around us and we wonder what God's doing. Anybody else ever wonder that? You look around and you think, man, this world is so evil and so wicked and there's so much going on. Did God just step aside for a while? You know, if there's ever a time in human history that these questions might be raised, it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, some 1,600 years had passed since Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden. Evil had soon followed as Cain killed Abel. The line of Cain became a bunch of godless vagabonds upon the earth. Remember the seventh in the line of Cain? was a man by the name of Lamech who was a polygamist who committed murder and then bragged about it and then pronounced his own personal vengeance on anybody who would come against him. So pride was rising up. Evil was rising up. The line of Seth became the chosen line. The seventh in the line of Seth was a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch walked with God. It was no more because God took him. But Enoch, like Noah, was a rarity in those days. Sadly, passing generations grew worse and worse. Eventually, the sons of God, we talked about this last week for those who might have been confused, the sons of God were not angels or demons who came down to earth. If you look at the context, it was very clearly, in my mind, the line of Seth. He'd just given the line of Seth, the godly line, that's the sons of God. Then he gave the daughters of men, which would be the, those to the line of Cain, and they intermarried. And their intermarriage, or their being unequally yoked, perpetuated the evil on the earth and only made it worse. So the result of the Sethites being drawn just by the physical beauty of, of women who were not walking with God, and before you know it, the result is wickedness throughout the world. And even in the midst of this wickedness and this rebellion, when it seemed that God was detached and uninvolved, all the while God was indeed very much involved. And we must never mistake God's grace or God's patience for God's permission. Amen? Or his lack of concern. Sometimes we look and we think, man, that guy's been getting away with that for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Isn't God ever going to bring judgment? Next time you start to feel that way, just remember how much grace he's shown you. And then you won't be so quick to judge. Amen? We want righteous judgment for everyone else, and we want incredible grace for us. Amen? So God is exhibiting this incredible grace. He's not detached, but he is watching, and he is waiting, and he is working. He was watching as the Lord saw the great wickedness of men. He was waiting. Remember he said earlier in chapter 6, you know what? Their days, they have 120 years to repent. 
Even when he saw wickedness upon the earth, he saw that their thoughts were evil continually. All they ever did was wickedness and evil. He still gave them 120 years to get right with him. Our God is such a God of incredible grace. Though man was watching, walking in total rebellion, God gives him more time. Why does he give us more time? Because God desires that none should perish, no, not one. His desire that all should come to the saving knowledge of his name. So the next time he's prolonging judgment in your mind, remember that that's him exhibiting his incredible grace as he waits upon those who have yet to be saved. So God never stops watching. He patiently waits. As it seems like evil goes unchecked, remember his waiting again is not a lack of concern over evil, but a desire to see more people repent. And know that even if you can't see it or don't understand it, he is at work in the hearts of men in order to bring about his perfect will. So we talked about that last week. We saw that happen with the sons of of God and the daughters of men being married together. We saw that the in the world that evil the evil intent of their thoughts were only evil continually. One of the strongest and clearest statements about man's sinful nature. And while God suffers long, he won't suffer always. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. They've got 120 more years. He, as we're going to see tonight, he finds one who is faithful. When the whole world is wicked, when they're continually evil, when their thoughts are only evil, he finds one in the midst of it who is faithful. And guys, God is still looking for that man or woman today. He's still looking for those in the midst of an evil and a perverse and a wicked generation, which is what we live in. And if you don't know that, you're not paying attention. That God wants to have those who will be like Noah and like Enoch, who will walk with him when seemingly no one else is. God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And this godly man named Noah, who walked with God, we're going to see tonight that it was not only Noah's words, but his faithful actions that bring about a clear opportunity for people around him to repent. Guys, our, our actions do often speak louder than our words. People are watching us. If they know you're a Christian, they want to see what's different about you. They may mock you behind your back. We'll see some of that in tonight's text. But you know what? At the same time, they're watching to see how you respond in the midst of difficulty. In the midst of this complete, continual, and widespread evil, there stood this one man, a man who would be empowered by God, by his spirit, to stand faithful and obedient in the midst of such overwhelming wickedness. And this is only possible when we walk with God. Without him, we can do nothing. So if you're a note taker, watching, waiting, and working, God is watching. He sees the corruption of man. Number two, God is waiting, graciously, patiently, patiently giving man more time to repent. And then lastly, God is working. He's working in the hearts of faithful men and women to bring about his perfect will in his perfect time. So let's get, begin in verse 10. Watching, waiting, and working, God indeed is watching. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now we're going to talk a lot about these three sons in future weeks. We're going to see, as it's very obvious that, if you think about it just for a moment, that all of the world are descendants of these three sons. Everybody in here is related to Shem, Ham, or Japheth, and we're all related to Noah. Now what's interesting about this, to me, is when I read these verses, what I think about is the fact that God, in God's grace, it is possible to raise godly children in the midst of wickedness. The entire world is wicked, 
and Noah raises three godly kids. Three kids who will enter into the ark. Three kids who will be delivered from the judgment to come. And you know what? This should be an encouragement to every one of us that in the midst of the times we're living in, that God can raise up godly children in the midst of this perverse and wicked generation. They had a dad who walked with God. There's nothing greater that we can give our kids who want to see them walk with God than for us to walk with God in front of them. Amen? To walk with God, to speak of the things of God, for them to see Jesus in action. You know, I love the fact that I'm a PK. People get mocked for that. That means preacher's kid, all right? But I grew up being a PK, and I got to sit on the front row and watch my parents' lives and watch them serve God faithfully, watch them in love with the Lord, watch their marriage, watch their love for each other. Can I tell you what an incredible blessing? To watch my dad when he was weary and exhausted and the phone would ring and he would stop everything he was doing and run to go minister to somebody. And I used to remember, my dad really does live like a Christian man. When I would see my mom having Bible studies in our garage and all the children in the neighborhood would come and we'd see kids in our neighborhood getting saved and to see the way she loved people and was kind and gracious, boy, that spoke as much to me as any Bible study I ever went to was to watch my parents on fire for God. You know what? Noah walked with God in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, and his sons got a front row seat to it. And guys, in the midst of perversion and wickedness all around us, our kids are watching, and may they get a front row seat to godliness in their household. Amen? And we see that here in the heart of Noah. And look what it says in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, And the earth was filled with violence. The word corrupt there is decaying, rotten waste. God says that the earth is filled with corruption. It's decaying. It's rotten. Sin does indeed bring forth death and corruption. The earth was filled with violence. The word for violence there is damage, injustice, or violence. The world was dominated by the ungodly. And the world was filled with violence, sexual immorality, total disregard for God. Well, that sounds like the world we live in today. Or a box office hit at the movie theater. Violence, sexual immorality, decadence, and no regard for God. You win Oscars for that today. And the point is this. There's nothing new under the sun. This is how it was in the days of Noah. And it was corruption all around him. But Noah should be an example to us that we can walk by faith even if no one else does. Amen? Nobody else in your school, nobody else in your workplace, maybe nobody else in your family, nobody else walking with God, you still can. And Lord, help us. Pray that there would be more Noahs walking around on the planet today. The earth was filled with total depravity. Wickedness seems to be going unchecked. But again, God's grace and patience must never be mistaken for God's permission to sin and walk in wickedness. Because righteous judgment is coming. Because it hasn't come immediately. Maybe you've been around people too. I've had people mock God and say, okay God, if you're real then just strike me with lightning. I've been around people, you know, and they don't get struck with lightning. See? My response is always, don't mistake 
God's grace for God's permission. God's shown you grace. He's going to give you more time to get right with him. But guys, there's a time coming when judgment will come. And in the midst of this perverse and wicked generation that was just living their lives and you know, eating and drinking and being merry and acting as if there was no, no judgment was ever going to come, in the midst of all of that, there was one faithful man, man by the name of Noah. It says there, so God looked upon the earth, verse 12, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God looked upon the earth. God never stops looking upon the earth. He never takes his eyes off the earth. He never takes his eyes off Santa Cruz. He never takes his eyes off of you. Isn't that amazing that God's always watching you? Now, that should not be a source of condemnation, but a source of blessing and encouragement that his eyes are always on you. Amen? Now, there are times we don't want his eyes on us, blow up at your wife or do something at work or blow your testimony. You're like, oh man, I hope God wasn't watching then. Well, guess what he was? Amen. But you know what? Know that he's watching too when you're sharing your faith at work. Know he's watching too when you're in the midst of the most difficult trial of your life and you feel like you're alone. He's not only watching, he's walking with you. He's a faithful God. Amen. And he loves you guys. You're his children. You're his treasured possession. We need to remember but God had incredible patience in those days. It says in 1 Peter, the long-suffering of God waited in those days, those days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. God waited 120 years for eight people. What a gracious God, amen? 120 years of his name being mocked, 120 years of wickedness and perversion upon the earth, 120 years of complete and total rebellion. Why? For eight people. And then those that would come from those eight people, and that's those of us in this room. God showed incredible patience. He's a loving and a gracious God. He showed grace then. He shows grace today. He waits patiently as the world continues down that road of corruption, immorality, violence, the most, mock, most mocking and cursing his name. Can I tell you, just from your pastor's heart, I am so sick and tired of hearing people curse the name of my Savior. It just grieves me. And again, just Pastor Dave's opinion. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. How in the world can we take God's money and go to a movie and give them God's money to listen to them curse our Savior's name? Oh, I didn't hear any amens to that. But amen or not? How can we sit and pay the money to listen to them curse our Savior's name? It drives my kids nuts, but we'll look and there'll be a movie rated PG, PG, not PG-13, PG. And I'll go to screenit.com or I'll go to some of these other places. And if they take God's name in vain, what? no, we're not going. But dad, no. I've had some people say, but you know, the movie was really good. There's just that one sex scene or there's just that one place where they curse God. That's like saying they rolled out a really good gourmet meal. It just had a little bit of arsenic in it. Guys, a little arsenic ruins the whole meal, and cursing my Savior's name once means I should not be sitting there and being entertained by it. We get desensitized to sin that way, don't we? In the midst of all of this, there need to be those who will stand up for godliness and say, I'm not going to do it. Noah wouldn't have done it. I guarantee you the Apostle Paul wouldn't have done it. And remember, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you, amen? 
Lord, help us to stand up for, and again, not to be self-righteous. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. I don't not go because I think I'm better than other people. I don't go because it grips my heart. I don't like it. Would I go to a movie where they cursed my earthly father and mocked his name? Never. Then why would I go when they mock my heavenly father? You know what? They mock his name, and yet he patiently waits. They curse his name, and he patiently waits. He died for those who he knew would curse and mock his name and shake their fists at him for a lifetime. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. Even though the world had forgotten God, God was still watching the world. And notice what it says here at the end of that verse. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh. All men had turned away from God, given themselves over to the lust of the flesh. It says in Matthew 24, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But it, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And do not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. As the days of Noah were, so will be the days when Jesus Christ comes back. So when you see similarities as we look at the days of Noah, just know that that means that the re- our redemption draweth near. Amen? We're living in the same days. Think about it. Population was exploding. The same is happening today. Moral corruption, thoughts of evil, perversion, society was out of control. And you know what? Perversion was exploding and it's exploding today with the coming of the internet and the access that we have today. It's as in the days of Noah we're living in today. What about violence? You know, when I was five years old, I can't remember, and I'm not that old, but when I was five years old, my mom let my brother and I walk two and a half miles to school. How many five-year-olds do you know being allowed to walk two and a half miles to school today? Why? Because of the violence and the wickedness that prevails in the earth we live in today. People are afraid to let their kid go out in front of their own house. We're living in days of wickedness, aren't we? In times when wickedness is prevailing upon the earth. And you know what? In the midst of it all... In the days of Noah, they just ate and drank and were married because, oh, hey, life as usual. Judgment's never going to come. We can live this way our entire lives. It's not a big deal. And judgment came quickly, and the same is true today. People are living in sinful lives, acting as if judgment will never come. The last days will be like the days of Noah, with corruption, violence, immorality, living life with no thoughts of God. Today we live in a day when there are not only no thoughts of God, but God's name is mocked. Again, I have to confess to you, I, as your pastor, I have frailties, and one of the things that just drives me nuts is to see how in this country today, you can stand for anything but God and its freedom of speech, but if you stand for God, they will shout you down. And we live in a country that was founded as one nation under God, amen? And separation of church and state is in no written document anywhere, and yet people preach it like it's the gospel. That was written by Thomas Jefferson to separate the church from the state, to protect the church from the state, not the other way around. 
When we cease to be godly, we cease to be good as a nation, and we cease to be good a long time ago because we cease to be godly as a nation. Guys, we need to get back to stepping up for the Lord and being unashamed to stand for him. And you know what? Because the world is mocking him all around us. In the days of Noah, there was one man willing to stand up. I pray there would be a lot more than that in Santa Cruz today. So God is watching. But you know what? God is waiting. Patiently, graciously giving man more time to repent. Look what it says in verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I will destroy them. When you go back to verse 3, he said, Yet his days shall be 120 years. He's going to destroy them, but he's going to give them 120 years to repent. And he's going to give them a living object lesson in Noah for the next 120 years. Someone who's going to boldly proclaim the, the truth of the gospel that they need to enter into his rest, they need to enter into the ark to be saved. He's going to proclaim to them the coming judgment for 120 years, and he's going to build a boat the entire time that's going to be an object lesson to everyone who passes by. He's patiently waiting. When man walked in total depravity, separating himself from God, here we have proof that one found favor in the eyes of God. Because look what it says, and God said to Noah. Sometimes we read right past stuff like that. You know what this means? There was wickedness and perversion across the face of the entire earth, and in the midst of all of it, God looked down, and he saw Noah, and he spoke to him. God spoke to Noah. When the rest of the world was mocking God, turned their back on God, God spoke to Noah. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's still looking for those whom he can speak to who will listen. Amen? Our heart ought to be, Lord, let that be me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me, Lord. My life is yours. Use me. That was Noah's heart in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. God has been watching. He sees one loyal and faithful to him. He's been waiting, but now it's time to take action. It says, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. God created the earth and it was perfect. It was the sinfulness of man that brought violence and corruption and would lead to its destruction. Today, people want to blame God for the state of the world. Do you, understand? Do you hear that often? Where's God in all that? You know, there's people starving. Where's God? If there's a God, how, if there's a loving God, why do people starve? If there's a loving God, why are people raped? If there's a loving God, why are people murdered? Because of sinful man, that's why. Because God gave man free will. And all the, the vile wickedness we see on this planet has nothing to do with God and everything to do with man. Amen? God is the, if God did not restrain evil upon the earth by his Holy Spirit, and you know what? They're going to see it during the great tribulation when the church is gone. They're going to find out man left unto himself how wicked it really is. But the point is this. It's not the, re the reason for all the wicked in the world today is not because God's not doing enough. It's because man will not repent of his sin and give his life to the Lord where it belongs. People want to blame God, but sin has its consequences. The wages of sin is death. 
Blame lies at the feet of sinful man. He says, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You know, he desires that none should perish. He suffers long that they might come to know him, but he won't suffer always. Guys, the holiness of God demands the righteous judgment of sin. Do you understand that? If God doesn't judge sin, he's not holy. If he is holy, and he is, then sin must be judged. Now, often you'll talk to somebody about things like that, and they get their feathers ruffled. Well, it doesn't seem fair that, you know, I was created with a sin nature because Adam and Eve sinned, and now I have a sin nature, and I'm born with a sin nature, and then I go out and live according to my nature, and now I'm going to be judged because of it. That doesn't seem fair. I've had people say that to me many times. I say, well, let me ask you a question. Well, who do you think should pay for your sin then? You know, if it doesn't seem fair to you that you should have to pay for it because you were created with a sin nature, you know, well, if God created me, well, maybe God should pay for your sin. Yeah, God should pay for my sin. You know what? He did. He already did. All you have to do is accept it. Amen? People don't grasp the grace and the love and the mercy of God. We chose to sin, and if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, if you or I had been in the garden, we would have chosen to sin too. Amen? Absolutely, positively, we would have. And so God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And he says, I will destroy them. God is in control. Righteous judgment doesn't come by chance, not random or coincidental. Some question these circumstances of being too harsh that God's going to bring destruction. Know that God is loving and kind and gracious. He so desperately wants people to repent, but his holiness and character demands that he judges unrepentant sin and rebellion. And even at that, he's going to give them 120 years to repent. When God brings righteous judgment, it is only after man has repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly rejected his offers of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. God reaches out to them a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million times in their lifetime, reaching out to them over and over. And they, I don't want you, God. I don't want you. No, I want to do my life my own way. Get out of here. Leave me alone. I want to be on the throne of my own life. And eventually God gives them the very thing they've been asking for their entire life. Guys, he's a, he, he so desperately wants to see everyone saved. Men today question the fairness of, of righteous judgment because here's why. We've taken too light a view of sin and too light a view of the holiness of God. We start to act like sin's not that big a deal. Well, everybody does this. It's not that big a deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin is such a big deal, it required Almighty God to leave heaven and come to earth and go to the cross and suffer and die in our place that we might have eternal life. Sin should never be taken lightly. Amen? But the problem in the world today is that people see judgment as being harsh because they don't see sin as being a big deal, nor do they see the holiness of God as being a big deal. God responds by reaching out to them in love and grace, and man continues to reject his grace, growing harder and harder in their hearts. When God finally, after man's repeated rejection, gives him what he's asked for, and man then wants to question God's love. Our sin brought judgment. God's grace brought redemption. He came when he didn't have to. He paid the price for us. He offers salvation as a free gift. He gives us repeated opportunities to accept him, but he will never force it on us. So too today, people struggle with any kind of righteous judgment. Now, I'm going to share some things from my heart with you guys. 
and somebody in here will get upset with me, I promise. But you know what? Know that I love you and know that I don't, my heart is not to come. I had a guy leave the church last time I used this example and he was mad at me and he wrote me a letter and he still won't talk to me. But here's the truth and I believe this to be true. God still brings righteous judgment today. I believe that Katrina was righteous judgment from God. Do you know that that hurricane hit the very week that the largest gathering of homosexuality was to happen in the history of mankind outside of Sodom and Gomorrah? And they were talking about the open sex acts they were going to have in the street and all that kind of stuff. Is it by chance that that hurricane hit that week? Or do you think God might have, well, but God doesn't do that. Well, ask Sodom and Gomorrah if he does that. Now, some people say, what about the little children that were impacted? I agree. The consequences of sin sometimes pour out on those. When you go out and commit adultery, doesn't it impact your children? Yes, it does. Let me ask you another question. What about in Southern California? I was living there then. We had a huge earthquake. It was in, you know, the the freeways collapsed. It was a disaster. Now, first of all, God showed grace because the earthquake happened at 4 o'clock in the morning. If it had happened at 9 o'clock, tens of thousands of people would have died. Maybe hundreds of thousands. The mall collapsed, okay? People would have been dead. Instead, a few people died. But isn't it interesting that within five miles of the epicenter of that earthquake, over 90% of the pornography is produced that is distributed throughout the United States. Do you think it's by chance that that earthquake happened there? Now, some people will say, oh, come on, Pastor Dave. Please. Let me ask you, is God in control of everything? What's the answer? Yes, he is. So did God know, does he know about earthquakes and hurricanes? I had one of my son's teachers tell me, well, God didn't know about the hurricane. Are you out of your mind? God didn't know? What do you mean God didn't know? As soon as you say God didn't know, anything that follows that, you're wrong. Amen? Because if God didn't know, that means people died that he didn't know were going to die. Does God number your days before the foundation of the world? Of course he does. Now, some people picture God as a, God in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake. That's not true. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. But there is a time where it gets to a point where he brings righteous judgment. As he did on Sodom and Gomorrah. As I believe in part happened with the Hurricane Katrina. Certainly with that earthquake in Southern California. Here's the thing that got the guy to leave the church. Please know this is coming from a heart of love. I believe that AIDS is a plague that came from God that is a result of of sinful behavior. The man was mad at me. What about children who get AIDS? Again, sometimes, 95, 98% of AIDS cases come through sexual immorality and IV drug use. Is that true or not? So if you don't do IV drugs and you are faithful to your spouse, the chances of you getting AIDS are almost zero. Is that true? But are there children that get it? Yes, there are. Sin has consequences that go beyond those who commit the act. Amen? Here's the point I'm making. That God is a God of love and grace and mercy. He desires that to pour out his love upon all of us. But if we continue on in rebellion against him, do not be shocked when sinful behavior has consequences. Amen? Now, he does this. Every time he does this, it's to wake us up, not to destroy us. He wanted to wake up. All of that was happening in New Orleans. You know, Billy Graham said, if God doesn't do something to San Francisco, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. 
That's pretty heavy, huh? But here's the point. I believe when the hurricane hits, we ought to be the first people there ministering to people. I believe when people come down with AIDS, we ought to be in the AIDS hotel loving on them and sharing with them the love of Jesus Christ. I believe when the earthquake, you know, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. In the midst of of divine judgment comes a divine opportunity to share with people the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? To move beyond righteous judgment that comes from rebellion and move into his grace. And to understand that he does indeed love us. My prayer is nobody took that wrong, I hope. Again, when these things happen, we need to reach out to people. We're not self-righteous. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior, every single one of us. So, God is watching. God is waiting. And now, God is working. He's working in the hearts of the faithful men and women to bring about his perfect will. Look what he says here. Tells him he's going to destroy the earth. Now, he hasn't even had a chance to swallow that yet. Right? Here's Noah. Noah, come here. Let me talk to you. Whoa, God's talking to me. Noah, let me tell you what's going to happen. The world is wicked. I'm going to destroy it. What? Then he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay, you're going to destroy the world and you want me to make a box. See, an ark, we, when we think of an ark, we think of a boat, right? But an ark really is a box in which things are contained. The Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was a box that held the Ten Commandments and then later a jar of manna and Aaron's rod, but it was a box that contained things. And now he tells them, I'm going to wipe out the world and, oh, I want you to make a box. Now, sometimes God tells us to do stuff and we don't understand the depths of what he's telling us. Amen? Most often we don't get it. We're thick. That's why God has to tell us again and again. Amen? But God's telling him something. Now, praise God that Noah obeyed. Aren't we all glad Noah obeyed? We wouldn't be sitting here. Amen? Noah obeyed. Now watch this. So God speaks to him about coming destruction. Again, the words must have been ringing in his ear. And then he tells him, I want you to make a box. A box. Oh, by the way, let me tell you how big I want this box to be. Verse 15. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Now a cubit is the distance between your elbow and the tip of your middle finger. But it was based on that length of the ruler at that time. So it would change depending on how big the ruler was. But on average, it's about 18 inches. So the length of this box is 450 feet. What? I'm going to destroy the earth, and I want you to make a box. And I want you to make a box 450 feet long. Does this make any sense? Oh, by the way, I want that box to be 75 feet wide. And 45 feet tall. Make a box, Noah. Now, I'm thinking I'd have had about 800 questions right about here. Now, wait a minute. You're get, let's get back to the destroying the world part. I'm kind of concerned about that. Now, you want me to do what? You want me to make a box and cover it with pitch. What is pitch? Pitch is 
uh, kind of like asphalt or a resin that you would use to seal up the inside and the outside. One of the important steps. I can imagine, I think of Noah writing down what God's telling him. Make a box. Okay, make a box. How long? Three. Now, you said three cubits, right? No, 300, 300, 450 feet. Now remember, now watch this as we continue on. Again, he wants you to build this big box. But notice what he says here. You shall, and I love this part. You shall, and this is how you shall make it. He says, make yourself an ark. He's telling Noah, this is a job for you. You don't get to hire subcontractors to come in and help you. You don't get to go get laborers. I'm asking you to do it. Make yourself an ark. You make it. But wait a minute. I'm one guy. How long is this going to take? Well, I already told you back in verse 3. 120 years. I got a box for you to build, and it's going to take you 120 years to build it. You've got to be kidding me. You know what I think about this too? Is I think it would, how long would it take 100 really good carpenters with all the tools in the world and access to a lumber yard to build this thing? A long time. But imagine a guy who had to go cut down every tree. I wonder how long did it take him just to cut down the trees? He had to, then he cut the trees down and brought them back and had to strip the bark off and take all the branches off. Can you imagine? To make a 450 foot by 75 foot by 45 foot high box. Wow. That requires some obedience. Amen. This is a huge task. Most people go, you know what? I, yeah, I, that's a big box. You know, and it's good that he didn't say, well, you know, how about I scale it down a little bit? He didn't really mean 450 feet. How about a 45-foot one? You know what? Maybe I could take 200 years to build it. You know, you know I could take some, a year off here or there. I need a rest, right? I mean, come on. You know what? It's a good thing that he obeyed God completely. Amen? You know what? If it's not complete obedience, it's not obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Amen? And Ark was, and he was commanded to build this big box. What a great exhortation for all of us. God often tells us what long before he tells us why. Amen? God tells us what, we don't know why. We just do it anyway because God told us. Amen? We're going to see the why at some point. Just do the what now. Noah, here's the what. You'll find out why soon enough. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became error, the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. What a great exhortation for all of us when we don't understand, trust God anyway. So he tells them the kind of wood, go for wood. People have debated whether that was cypress or cedar. But the point is, he couldn't just use any kind of wood. He had to use gopher wood. I don't know if that many had to travel through the woods and pick out a tree here and there and fell the thing and drag it out. But you know what? This was no small task. He then told them to make rooms like cabins or small cells. Again, couldn't have fully grasped why, but he's, God's told him, so he's doing it. Use pitch again because it needed to be watertight. Now, let me tell you about the volume of this. 
450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. If you're into volume, that's 1.4 million cubic feet. You could fit 522 railroad cars inside of it. It's pretty big, huh? That's a big box. That's a huge box. See, he's building this box. You could fit 522 railroad cars in. It could carry 125,000 sheep. That's a big box. Now, people often say, well, did God really put all those animals in that big box? Yes, he did. Amen? Yes, he did. Oh, I think it's just an allegory. It's just a story. No, it's not. God put them all in there. You know what? When you get to heaven, you can ask Noah, and he can tell you about the 120 years he spent building that box, and it absolutely happened. Amen? For you and I, it's a, for him, it was heavy-duty. Man, what a, what a calling on your life. Go build a, go build a box one and a half football fields long. Knock yourself out. And by the way, no help. Wow. Then it says in verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to, it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. So he's telling him to put a window in it. He may not fully grasp why. There's many reasons why people may, you know, first of all, that could have been their source of water. You know they're going to be in the ark for about a year. You realize that. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but it took a lot longer than that before they got off the ark. Because they had to wait for the water to recede and it come to rest. You think that every, two of every animal and seven of all the clean animals on the planet might drink a little bit of water? And do you think you might need a little ventilation in that ark? What do you think? Whoa. Man. Talk about a miracle. Living through that. But God blessed Noah and his faithfulness. But notice this too. Set the door of the ark in its side. How many doors were in the ark? One. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? The one who delivers us from the judgment to come, but we must enter in before we can be delivered. And guys, there's only one door. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one hope. There's only one life, and his name's Jesus Christ. Amen? And when you look at the ark, there were not four doors. There are not four paths. There's only one. And he told them to, to make a door in the side of this ark. And they said, there shall be three stories with its lower, its second, and its third decks. So each story was 15 feet high, each deck with various rooms in it, that window a foot and a half from the top, you know, uh, three stories inside, a huge door, numerous small rooms, a huge job for a crew of incredible laborers, but man, what an incredible job for one man. And I, I wonder what kind of tools he even had. You know, he didn't have a skill saw, I guarantee you that much. He was not out there, to, you, know, you know, this was not happening. He's out, I don't know what he's got. But think of the perseverance and the faithfulness that was required to fulfill that task, but we are so glad he was faithful, amen? Noah is counted faithful that he obeyed God completely. And again, I imagine him writing down the instructions going, you gotta be kidding me. Whoa. Wow, this is gonna be forever. And again, you know what else too though? Can you imagine as he's dragging some trees out? And again, I just try to put myself in their shoes sometime. He's dragging these trees out and he's you know, stacking them out in some big field somewhere. Gotta be a huge field, right? He's dropping these trees out there. Maybe he's gathering trees for a couple years, I don't know. 
He's out there. Now, his friends are coming by, and they're all partying and drinking, and they're out of control. You know, their, their thoughts are on evil continually. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a big box. Building a big box? Why you, Noah, why are you building a big box? Well, for the flood that's coming. Flood, flood's coming. Noah, what's a flood? Well, a flood is when rain comes down from the sky so much that it covers the earth. Noah, What's rain? Do you understand it had never rained before? He's building a big box, a big boat, out on dry land when it's never rained in the history of humankind. Do you think that guy was getting mocked a little bit? And 120 years, I almost imagine they, you know, they went out to make trips to mock, let's go mock Noah. Hey, yo, let's go, hey, he's out there building that big box. Let's go make fun of him. And you know what? Noah kept building the box, kept building the ark. Why? Because God told him to. Noah was not worried about being popular with men, but faithful to God. What an example for every single one of us. Amen? It's not about being popular with men, but faithful to God. Guys, the Lord has a calling on my life. The Lord has a calling on your life. And with calling comes the equipping to get the job done. You know what's interesting, too, about the ark? I saw a thing called the Mysteries of the Bible one time that was put on by people that weren't Christians. It was on ABC, I think. And one of the things they did was they made a small scale of the ark based upon the way the Bible said its dimensions were. It was probably about this big. Then they put it in a wave tank, and they kicked up the waves to the equivalent of 100 feet. And they could not turn that ark over. They tried as hard as they could to capsize the ark. Isn't it awesome that in the book of Genesis, the dimensions for the perfect boat, why? Because God made it, amen? You know, this boat was not built for, you know, speed or looks, no sails, but I'll tell you what, it bobbed up and down the water without turning over, and it held all the animals in the world on it, you know, two of every kind. Our God can do that, amen? Amen. And in the midst of the greatest storm, the ark survived when everyone else perished. Guys, as we enter into Jesus Christ, we too are going to be delivered from that judgment to come. Amen? Then he says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. We can only imagine... What Noah felt when he heard these words, both of the judgment for those outside of the ark and salvation for those on the inside of the ark. You know what, guys? Having this understanding helps Noah be busy about what he's doing now, It doesn't it? Noah, let me tell you, I told you the what, let me tell you the why now. Let me tell you why you need to build this big boat, this big box. Let me tell you why. Because I am going to flood the earth and everyone outside of that box is going to die. Now, when Noah's building that box and people come by and mock, you know what I believe he's doing? Because it says in 1 Peter that he was a prophet. You don't become a prophet if you're not preaching the gospel. Amen? So what he's doing instead is when they're mocking him about the boat, he says, guys, let me explain something to you. Water is going to fall from the sky. There is going to be a flood. And every one of you who stays outside of this ark is going to die. You need to enter into the ark. 
Noah, not only was he faithful to build the big box, but for 120 years he preached the path to salvation. And you know what? Not one single person received it. The only people were the ones that God had already promised, his own family. Nobody else. But yet he continued to share it. Guys, the sharing of the word is what we're called to do. People getting saved is entirely up to God. Amen? You be faithful to share the truth. You let God be the one that draws people unto himself. Verse 18. Everything on the earth shall die. Now that's animals. Everything. By the way, let me just say this. Sometimes people have said, oh, the flood was in a small area. Does that verse sound like the flood was in a small area? Everything on the earth shall die. How does everything on the earth die if the flood is in a small area? And if the flood was in a small area, he wouldn't need a boat. He'd just have to move. Right? Big flood coming, only in this area. Move. That's not what God told him, right? Enter into the ark. The flood was worldwide. Now look what he says. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. I will establish my covenant. This is the first time we see that word in the Bible, covenant. A covenant is a bond or a promise that God makes to man that he will never break. I am making a promise to you, Noah, that I will never break. I am making a covenant with you guys, a promise from God, and there's nothing better than that. Amen? There's a lot of covenants in Scripture. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. Did you know that? God promised you that. He promises you that if you receive him, what? No one will ever snatch you out of his hand. That he'll adopt you into his family. That you're going to heaven. Those are promises from God to you that will never be broken. Aren't you glad? And he makes this covenant with Noah. Okay, Noah, the world's wicked. But in the midst of all of that, I'm going to deliver you and your family. I'm making a promise to you. He would expand on that promise. We get to chapter 9, the rainbow. Where did the rainbow come from? God's promise to the world that he would never destroy the world by flood again. And isn't it amazing how homosexuality has taken a rainbow as their symbol? Right? You take what God has created as a promise to man... A promise he had to make because he wiped out the world because of its wickedness and you use it as a symbol for wickedness. That's the world we live in today, you guys. And again, the Lord loves the homosexuals, amen? And we need to love them too. We don't repel them, we reach out to them in Jesus' name. But it's sin and so's sex outside of marriage, fornication, adultery. So the ark, again, is a deliverance. It's a picture of, of Jesus Christ, God's covenant with man as the only source of deliverance. Again, to come through that only door, to enter into him. He's the only way you're going to be delivered from that flood, from that judgment to come. Verse 19, and every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing, of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Now that is a great word of encouragement. They're going to come to you. Let me write that down twice. They're coming. Can you imagine if he had to go get them all himself? Can you imagine you have your sons out? Now we're short a female lion. Now, he, <laughs> can you imagine? 
You have to rope in a kangaroo and drag, you know what I mean? Keep dragging things back one at a time. Who's getting the female skunk? I mean, dude, I got the line, dude. I mean, can you just imagine what it must have been like? But you know what? Praise God. He said, you know what? Build the boat. I'll bring the animals. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, man, getting rounded up the animals. Now, what's interesting is there are about 18,000 species living on the world in the earth today. Roughly, according to the zoologist. Now, that number may be doubled to allow for the fact that a lot of animals, a lot of species have become extinct, right, over time. So, let's say there are 30, that's 72,000 creatures. Now, you can fit 125,000 sheep in the ark. And most of these creatures would be a lot smaller than a sheep because more than likely what they brought were infants of the animals because they wanted animals that could then reproduce for a long time. So they brought baby elephants. People have wondered, were there dinosaurs on the ark? I, yes. Yeah, really? Yeah. What happened to them? They went extinct. They were there. They were living. Now, guys, also need to understand this. Prior to the flood, none of the animals were carnivores. Otherwise, the ark would have been a mess. Can you imagine? An ark with sheep and, you know, deer and lions. How would that have worked out? You know, not too good. But God, that didn't happen until after the flood. So God brings all the animals to them, and here's the point. They probably used less than 60% of the space to, to house all the animals, if there were 72,000 creatures. Because some of them were lizards, right? They're this small. You know, you had some a little bigger than a sheep, but most, uh, a lot of them were tiny frogs and lizards and, you know, squirrels and, you know, they're small. And so the average size, no problem. Fit them in the ark, use about 60% of the space. The rest of the space was used for ventilation, but also they needed to uh, also eat. So look at verse 21. And you shall take for yourself of all that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So he did bring the animals, but Noah had to go get the food. Now imagine getting the food for 72,000 or so creatures to last about a year. This is another, man, what a program. Noah, diligent, amen? I think 120 years, and he was pressing it the whole time, amen? He was like, man, i got to hurry. i got 47 years left. they got to be about it. I just finally got the first deck done, man. You know, come on. But praise God that he remained faithful. Praise God he didn't do it halfway. Praise God he surrendered completely. Guys, when you think of Noah... Think of one surrendered completely to God and what great and awesome things God can do with one man or one woman who will surrender completely to him. Noah built a boat big enough to carry the animals, but also his family. Now look, God's watching, God's waiting God's working in the heart. But look at verse 22. These are, this is a great verse. It says, thus Noah did. Now, if we just read that and we didn't take the time to understand all he did, we might not think much. What did Noah do? He cut down the trees. He trimmed the bark. He pulled off the branches. He formed the, the wood. I don't know how he did it. Put it all together, nailed it together. 
built a boat 1.4 you know, cubic feet. Amazing. And then he built the window and he built the door. And then he went out and gathered up all the food. And all the while being mocked. All the while never having seen rain come from the sky. But God said it was going to, so he believed him. Guys, there are things that God will ask us to do and we've never seen it happen before, but we need to trust God and have faith enough to say, Lord, I believe because you say you're going to do it, that you're going to do it. Amen? You know, people in India, I've said this before, they see people raised from the dead. They see people, you know, the lame healed. And how come we don't see it more? Because we don't ask. Because we don't believe. Amen? We have not because we ask not. Now, we don't demand God to do anything. But you know what? I believe God wants to do great and awesome things that his name might be glorified. We just need to start saying, okay, Lord, even though we've never seen you do it before, doesn't mean you can't do it. He says in the last days, greater things you will do than I have done. Does he say that in scripture or not? He did great things. Can he do greater things now? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth. Seeking one, he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for those who will say, Lord, just use me. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life. Now, know this. Anything God tells you to do will always line up with Scripture. Amen? Don't be moved by your emotions. Don't be moved by what you think. You might eat a chili dog and think God told you to build a big boat in your backyard. But, you know, make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. Amen? Make sure that Scripture is the foundation. It says, thus Noah did. Again, he had an incredible, staggering job to do. We see no place in Scripture that he complained one time. He didn't question God. He didn't doubt God. He was faithful to God. Thus Noah did, according to all that God, not some, all that God commanded him, so he did. A job that would require 120 years of faithfulness and diligence. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed because we had to work in the children's ministry three weeks in a row. Right? Three weeks in a row? Guys, if we can't do it with a joyful heart, don't do it. Amen? Our kids deserve someone in there who's excited about being in there. Guys, if we're called to do it, if someone's called, you can't stop them. I've learned that a long time ago. If, If you can be easily stopped or dissuaded from what you're doing, you're not called. If you're called, they can put a brick wall in the way and you'll find a way through it. Because God's called me to do it. How can I not do this? Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe unto me if I do not fulfill the calling of my life. Noah knew that God was calling him to do it. Mocking wouldn't stop him. The fact that it didn't make total sense to him would not stop him. He had a perspective that the rain was coming because God said so. I need to build this boat that my family might be delivered and anyone else who will trust the word of God. And I need to be about it and be ready for it. Lord, give us the heart of Noah. He was a preacher in those days. He was a faithful man. The work of the building ark was costly. It was tedious. It was dangerous. It seemed foolish, even ridiculous. And in the midst of all of that, he continued to be faithful. Noah's building of the ark required incredible faith, and yet he trusted the word of God. I want to close with this. Is God calling you to do something that will require faith? He's, he's always moving on us to step out in faith. And guys, here's where stepping out of faith starts. It starts by reading the Bible, knowing what it says, and obeying that. That's where it starts, amen? Before you look to step out and do something beyond that, start with that. God's word says this, let's do that. 
Let's obey. Let's be faithful. Noah heard the word of God. He obeyed. We've heard the word of God. Help us, Lord, to obey what you've already told us. Amen? So in closing, watching, waiting, working. God is watching. He sees the corruption of man. God is waiting graciously, patiently, giving man more time to repent. God is working. He's working in the hearts of faithful men and women to bring about his perfect will in his perfect time. I've quoted it twice. I'll close with this. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. Our prayer tonight should be, Lord, let me be that man. Let me be that woman. Amen? Here I am, Lord. Use me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your incredible grace. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've saved us, you've adopted us into your family. But Lord, I pray that we would not be like Samson, a saved soul in a wasted life. I pray, Lord, that we would live our lives sold out for you, that like Noah, that when you brought your judgment, when you came, you found him busy about your work. Lord, I pray that when you return for us, you would find us faithful and busy about your work. Lord, I do pray for those around us who are lost. Father, I pray we would preach to them with the same zeal and and passion that no doubt Noah had because he knew the flood was coming. Just as sure as that flood was coming, Lord, you're coming back. And Lord, give us that same urgency in our hearts, that same fervency for the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I do pray you would help each of us, Father, to recognize your voice the way that Noah did. Lord, to be still, to sit at your feet, to hear from you. And Lord, when we hear your voice, to respond in faithful obedience to whatever you call us to do. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you that there is a door that we could enter into your presence, enter into your rest, to be delivered from the judgment to come. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.